Well, we have been looking at the life of Peter. Peter, the vocal disciple. Peter, the one who who keeps opening his mouth and often just does it to change feet because he puts his foot in his mouth. Isn't that a funny thing to say? You know, uh, that's kind of one of those idioms. And we're going to be looking at an idiom today that it comes right out of the Bible and is still true in our country today. We've been talking about Peter being shifting sand. The wonderful thing about Peter is there's so much information from him because he is kind of vocal. And the wonderful thing about that is not that we're studying Peter. What we're doing is we're learning about Jesus through the experiences that Peter had with Jesus. And I think that that's helpful to us. So I hope that you will will go on this journey as we see Peter become sometimes more solid, that rock that Jesus said he would be, but oftentimes uh, shifting sand, and then sometimes just Frankly, he's quicksand. I mean, he's just sinking. Uh, Last week, Pastor Sean uh, shared with you about how Peter got out of the boat. Wow, what a triumphant moment. Who would even think to get out of the boat and walk on the water? Would you? I would. I don't think I would. That would never have come to me. And I can just see all the other disciples there in the boat going, oh, man, I wish I'd have thought of that. No, I don't think they did say that. But here we are in this time, as we look at his life, when he got out of the boat, that triumphant moment, but then he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. There's some wonderful lessons in the life of Peter, and he helps us see Jesus. He helps us know who Jesus is. And so today we look at Peter, and is he polluted or is he pure? Uh, Polluted sounds like a strong word, doesn't it? Uh, We use that word to talk about just kind of the most foul smells and things of earth. Uh, But they really are kind of opposites if you're pure or if you're polluted. And I think we would all have to know that there have been times in our lives when we have been impure. Doesn't impure sound so much better than polluted? But let me tell you, in our scripture today, I have another word for you. The word sewer is going to appear. Really, it's in the Bible, so we're going to talk about it, okay? At the the passage that we're looking at today in Matthew 15, I do encourage you to turn there. Peter is kind of caught in the middle because Peter's a Jew. He was raised with the law, the rules of, of his religion. And he's kind of caught in the middle of that on how to behave now that he's following Jesus. Because Jesus is just not about the rules. He's about the principles behind the rules. Now, have you ever done something like this? You've had children and, and you've taught them, don't touch that stove, it's hot. And sure enough, Jeff, when he was three years old, had perfect blisters on his tiny little palm from it was a, an electric thing and so he when he touched it it looked so fun it's so bright red let's just see how it feels and it was the saddest thing 
he didn't, we told him, don't touch that, but he didn't really understand all the reasons until after he touched it. Now, I don't rec uh, recommend this as the way to learn, but it is quite effective. And, and so sometimes we give instructions and we tell the kids the rules, but we may not they may not understand, we may not explain all the principles behind that. I love that Jesus does. He tells us the principles of God, not just the rules of how to behave. Well, here's where Peter is caught, between the principles and the rules, between Jesus and the religious rulers. Now, I do need to tell you one little thing about the religious rulers of the day. You see, we are so conditioned by separation of church and state. We, we don't want the, the state to can, you know, corrupt the church. We don't want the church to, to affect the state. And, and so we have this, this mindset that all of us here share of separation. They did not have that. The religious leaders were the political leaders. The political leaders had to be somewhat religious. We looked a while ago at Herod the Great, who was not a particularly religious person, but he was the king, and he had to work with the Sanhedrin, the religious and political leaders uh, of, this, of the Jewish people. So here's Peter stuck in between this, the Jewish rules, and do you know what? I think we're stuck today. We're stuck between rules and principles, and we, we need to, to, to respond to those in, in the right way. Well, let's take a look at our text. It begins in Matthew 15 at verse 1. It starts out this way. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Who are these people? These lawyers and politicians who are religious. Boy, that's tough. You know, in family gatherings, you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics, and that's what these guys are. Uh, when we think about this, what are some of the most important things and decisions and factors in our lives? Issues, religion and politics. And we're dealing with that right now. So they're lawyers, they're politicians, but what do they want? It says they came to see Jesus. Know this, that they wanted to see Jesus, not because of what they had learned about Jesus, not because they thought Jesus from, was from God or that he could help them. They came to see Jesus because they wanted to stop him. They saw Jesus as a threat to their power. And so that's what these people want. That's who they are. Uh, we talk a lot about that even in our culture. What do these protesters want? What do these politicians want? I'm treading on dangerous territory right now. But I think it's good for us to examine what are the motives, what are the purposes, what are the principles of people. Our leaders, what are their principles? How, why do they operate? How do they operate the way they do? Verse 2 says, uh, that the lawyers and Pharisees get to talk, they are asking a question. Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? They demanded this. Uh, they ignore our tradition of ceremonial 
hand washing before they eat. Have you been doing hand washing? Oh my goodness. We have been renewed in our importance of cleanliness. Uh, but here's what's happening. There, there's, there's a problem with this because what the religious leaders did is they made up a whole bunch of rules and then they didn't have enough so they made up some more and they had so many and and these were oral traditions that became rules laws to them but they were not the written law they were not handed down by god these are the traditions and the rules of men and sometimes what happens is that traditions outlive truth so they, they knew that there were these traditions. Peter knew these traditions, but he didn't understand the full truth behind them. And thankfully, Jesus has come, and he's going to explain some of this. Let's take a look. Verse 3. This adds an explanation. Oh, this is, I'm, I'm sorry, this is from Mark, because the same passages in Mark and Matthew are, are kind of parallel, but Mark adds some good information, because he's basically writing to a Roman audience, which is sort of a Western audience, which is sort of us. So the Gospel of Mark is kind of targeted more, in some ways, to us. Here's what Mark says. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands. Uh, do we have a picture of this one? Okay, it's coming up. This is what I want you to have in mind when we see this. Um, okay, so... They poured water over their cupped hands because this was required by the law, no, by ancient tradition. Now, similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they have immersed their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions that they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. Now, notice this is ceremonial. Why did they do this? Did it clean their hands to do this? No. It was ceremonial. It was ritual, that it would, but it was not cleansing. It was not hand washing. Now, I, I was in a restroom the other day, as I uh, sometimes do, and a, a person came in, and they, they did their business, and then they walked over to the sink, they turned on the water, and stuck their hands under the water, went bam, bam, and left. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, you are not following the protocols. No so. They didn't wait for the water to get hot. And, and so I'm, why did this person stick their hands under the water and leave? What were they doing? What were they doing it for? Did they think that they were, their hands were clean after they left? It was kind of a token hand washing. It wasn't real hand washing. And why, do, why does that still exist today? That little moment, that ritual that, that happened there. Um, he left, and, and I didn't want to shake hands with him. I, I didn't want him cooking my burger. I, you know, none of that. So do you wash your hands? Yes. Say yes. Tell me the truth, too. That's good. As a child, I couldn't understand why you'd have to wash your hands before dinner. Because it was after I ate that my hands were really dirty. But then I, I learned that, it, that I needed to wash before and after. I, I, I did learn that. Verse 3, uh, back to Matthew. 
Jesus replies to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He says, okay, you've asked me a question, but and why do, by your traditions, you violate the direct commandments of God? Now, now know that what the Pharisees have said is, these guys, your disciples, they wouldn't want to accuse Jesus, but hey, your disciples are violating our ancient traditions. And Jesus says, you are violating the written law of God. That's a big difference. And so Jesus brings them back. Let's look at the principles of how we live and how we behave. Let's concentrate on those, not all your traditions. And he goes on, verse 4. For instance, God says, now this is really good because what Jesus says is here's what God says. Now, when any time you listen to a preacher, if they're giving their opinion, even somebody as fabulous as your preacher is giving their opinion, you know, you gotta you gotta evaluate that. What's the meaning? What's the purpose? What's the principle? But here's what we need to do. Here's what good preachers do. They say, the Bible says. God says. And, and it's really good to have an authority above ourselves. And so that was just a little bonus thrown in there. You don't have to write that down or anything. It won't be on the quiz later. Okay. But what does God say? We ought to listen up when, when Jesus says, God says this. And he actually, in our passage today, he is going to refer back to the law. Now, the initial law given by God is the big ten and commandments, the top ten. As a, as a matter of fact, starting next week, the Sunday school lesson is on the ten commandments. Just a little, that's another commercial. They're just coming out everywhere. But here's what he says. Jesus says, here's what God says. Honor your father and your mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of their father or mother must be, yes, this is what it says, put to death. Now, were they putting people to death if they disrespected their mother or father? They weren't. They had all kinds of oral traditions that were going on, and they were ignoring uh, what God had said. Now, God said in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, and you're going to have a long life. Uh, this put to death got added in another place, but, but Jesus is quoting scripture here. And he says this in verse 5, but you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you in your old age. You'll have to depend on Medicare, okay? For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to help you. Now, this is a kind of a weird thing. You don't have to write this down, but it's the word Corban. And Corban means that I'm going to just take what I have and I'm going to dedicate it to God. I'm sorry, folks, I can't help you because I've dedicated it to God. But in the meantime, with all their oral traditions, they said, I've dedicated it to God, but I get to use it until I no longer can use it anymore. Even though it's been given to God, and so Jesus is saying, you use this, this rule of Corban, but you're ignoring the principle of God. And so he's got, and, and Peter's watching all this, and he's going, wow, that doesn't seem right. These are our religious leaders. We, we should obey them, but that doesn't seem right. Then he goes on. 
In this way, you say you don't need to honor your parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own traditions. Now, Jesus uses a word here that's very strong. It's the word hypocrite. That, this word means that we say one thing and behave a different way. Uh, actually, this word is the word actor. An actor is playing a part. And that's what Jesus is saying. You Pharisees are playing the part of a godly person. And you're doing it very well. You could get an Academy Award for your efforts here. But you're not really. You're not genuine. He goes back to the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. We have the principles, the commands of God, and we have these man-made traditions. What, how do we respond? How do we act? Jesus then follows up. He says, then Jesus called the crowd. Okay, so he's been interacting with these Pharisees. Now he's calling the crowd together because he wants to do some teaching on this. He's kind of pushing the Pharisees off to the side, and he calls the crowd to, to come and hear. He says, listen and try to understand. Now, this is very important because a lot of times we, we listen, but do we really understand? We listen to the traditions. Do we understand the principles? So today... And by the way, I'm going to give you some homework, so don't leave until you have your homework, okay? But what Jesus is saying here is not just enough to hear. We, we go to church, we hear the Word of God. Um, if you're taking notes today, guess what? That's going to help you understand. Something happens when you use your brain and your hand with a pencil and, and put it down. It just helps. It helps you to get it, to understand it. If you would actually look at your notes after you take them, just taking them helps. But if you review them later, that even helps more. If you would say, now what in the world was God trying to say to me through that message, through the scripture today? What was that teaching for my life? That's a wonderful thing. Do that every sentence. Just make that a, your habit, okay? So he says, it is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. That word defiles is better translated, pollutes you. Unclean, okay? You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. See, the tradition said you shouldn't eat certain things because that will pollute you. Jesus said it's the words that come out of your mouth that defile you. Uh, and, and he said that to make sure the Pharisees would understand and hear that. Do you think they heard it? I do. Do you think they understood it? I don't think so. Because sometimes we can hear things, and, and we say this to people, you're not hearing me. And what we really mean is you're not understanding what I'm trying to say. We need to seek understanding. And and that's not where the Pharisees are today. They are not here for understanding. Um, verse 12. 
Then the disciples came to him, to Jesus, and they asked, Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Aren't you afraid of the Pharisees? Don't you know who these guys are? Aren't you afraid you offended them? And Jesus replied, He gives them a little parable. Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. And, and what he's saying there is that if they are making all this man-made tradition and not following the principle of, of God, they are not a true plant. They are not going to bear fruit. And that's what he's saying. The Pharisees, for all their rules, are not bringing anybody closer to God. They're just not bearing fruit. They're just making it hard. Another time he's going to call them snakes. He's going to suggest that they are doing the work of Satan, not the work of God. And I think anytime we as a church put rules out on people and don't give them the principles for understanding those rules, that we're kind of doing the same thing. So what does he say in verse 14, which is really the end of the sentence in verse 13? He says, ignore them. Ignore the political religious leaders of the land. Now, that might be some good advice for us today. But what he's saying is that if they're not from God and you listen to them, that's going to bring you down, not lift you up. You need to ignore that. Put that aside. And here's the big idiom. Are you ready? They are blind guides leading the blind. It is the blind leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. This is an idiom that is well known, even known today. We say this. If you follow that guy, that is the blind leading the blind. We use that. What does it Jesus mean when he talks about it? Well, let's take a look. We're going to unpack this certain uh, section of Scripture here, especially verses 10 through 14. Because he says, listen and understand. Have I gotten you to the point where you want to understand? Write that word down, understand. This word understand really means to be wise. It means to consider and to comprehend. So it means think about it. And think about it so much that you make a decision on it. You comprehend it. You put it into practice in your life. We don't just come here to listen. We come here to get a hold of some truth and put it into our lives and practice it. Practice what you preach. That's another idiom. We need to do that. So the first thing we need to see as followers of Jesus, and this is what Peter needs to see. He needs to listen to Jesus, but he also needs to understand. And I like Peter because he always asks questions. That's all he does today. I, I'm studying the life of Peter. I'm looking at every occasion in the Gospels where Peter does something. And all he does here is ask a question. Boy, but it leads to a lot of other stuff that's coming on. That's your homework. But not yet. Okay. So Jesus says, listen and understand. Number two. He says that your output shows the condition of your heart. It's, it's what you say. Um, are you defiled? Are you polluted? Are you not pure? And that's what he's saying. Um, the Pharisees ask, why do you break these rules, these 
oral traditions, these little rules these, that we have set up. Why do you break these? Well, that's oral law. That's, that's ceremonial. And it doesn't help a person get closer to God. So he, Jesus, is saying, hey, watch not what you eat, what you take in, but what, you, what comes out of you, how we talk to one another. Number three, and this is what Jesus and even us as Christians, we may say things. Jesus says things that are offensive. Well, that doesn't seem right. Our job is not to go out and offend people. As followers of Christ, we are to love people. But sometimes in loving them, if they are so wrong, we got to love them and love them and love them, and sometimes we have to point out what's going on, and it may be offensive. You could start your conversation like this. I don't want to offend you, but know that when you say that, you're going to be offending the person because you already precluded it with what you said. So, number four, Jesus says to ignore. What do we ignore? He calls the Pharisees weeds. I mean, if God didn't plant it and it's growing in your garden, it's a weed, okay? In this situation, they, Jesus is calling the Pharisees weeds. So ignore the weeds. Well, who are the weeds in life? Who are the weeds in Jesus' life? Pretty clear, the Pharisees. They put tradition above truth. But who are the weeds in your life? Who are those people that, that seem to say they want your best, and what they have in mind is your best interest, but they're really bringing you down, not lifting you up? I mean, I, I think it's good for us to listen to one another, to try to understand the purpose of, and the principle about what we're saying, but it's also very good to make sure it it connects to the Bible. It's based on the truth that we have. It's We have a collective truth as the church. And sometimes we even, how American of us, we vote on things as a church. And what do we get when we vote? Well, hopefully people are praying and are get in touch with, with the Word of God and the Spirit of God when we vote. Otherwise, all we're going to get is the best that mankind can offer. The best humans can offer. Well, let me tell you, folks, we are not to live at that level. That is the best that we can do in our government is the people rule, majority rule. And in our nation, we even give um, credence to the minorities. But let me tell you, that is only man-made level. Unless our leaders, unless our nation is under the will of God, we are only doing what is human. And, you know, we do, we say that. Well, don't judge me. I'm only human. But guess what? If you're a Christian, you have truth. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the community of all believers. All of this helping us be more than just human. That would really be a good place to say amen right there. Okay. So, here we go. Government leaders who don't honor God, lawyers who are keeping the law, 
but not the principles of God, self-righteous influencers, the internet, and all that stuff that's going on and is out there is taken as truth. Now, you might want to write this down. It is not, it is not truth. Just because it's on the internet, just because there's some, somebody who has a lot of followers, they are, they're, they're spewing stuff. And it may not be true. Most likely it's not true. I'm sure most of it's not true. So how do we know truth? How do we know what to ignore? We've got to get into the Bible. We've got to get into church. And we've got to pray. We've got to connect with the Holy Spirit. If we will do those things, then we're going to begin to understand. That was good. Thank you. Okay, number five, danger. Jesus gives a warning. The blind are leading the blind. When human effort, human rule comes to be more important than truth, it's the blind leading the blind. Now, the Cambridge Dictionary has this. This is an idiom, by the way, and it's used to describe this. This is a situation where a person who knows nothing is getting advice and help from another person who knows almost nothing. Now, I don't want to offend anyone who was ever a teenager, especially anyone who might be a teenager now. But it's amazing to me when, as teenagers, we go to other teenagers for advice. Uh, For whatever kind of, for truth, for for romance, for any of that, when we check out that level of advice, it's the blind leading the blind. Another way this happens, um, we um, we had little children, and, and we're just kind of learning how to be parents. You know, you, you think when you have a baby, instantly you know everything on how to how to you know raise that child perfectly, right? Well, we would have times, and we would be together, and we had uh, some other couples that would kind of connect with our family, and so we'd have these gatherings, and sometimes our children would be there, and and let's just say that at that that moment, our children's behavior was not perfect, okay? And so we would hear this kind of a comment. You've heard it. Why? When when we have children, they're not going to behave this way. And I said, yeah, right. (laughs) And I always loved getting parental advice from people who had no children. Now, do they have some good things to say? Sure. Um, They used to be children. I mean, they've had some experiences, and that could be good. But but I want to be careful on this. Is this the blind leading the blind, or is there really a benefit to what they're saying? Jesus gives this as a warning to those who would follow God to choose carefully whom you're going to follow to lead you to God. Uh, I think one of the things that, that I never really understood being a minister until I was a lead pastor was the responsibility that you have as a pastor to lead people. And we have had so sad, so sadly, so many pastors who have led people astray. 
who have just been doctrinally off or maybe who have had moral fa failures. Um, you know, I, I always wonder about the blind leading the blind and, and a, a pastor who uh, has had a failed marriage doing marriage counseling after that. You know, there has to be a lot of healing and a lot of, and sometimes that experience can be put to good use, but, but we have to be careful about that. One of the things that when I was a youth pastor, I had a lot of couples that helped us uh, in ministry. And I had a, a tradition of my own, a man-made rule, uh, to not have people who had been divorced leading the teenagers. Did I not believe people could be healed from a divorce? Sure. Did I not believe that they could advance forward and, and there would need to be some time, but they, they could grow? Could they not follow God? Sure. But I wanted people who were going to be an example of a godly marriage. And, and I remember um, somebody really getting in my face about that. Why won't you let this couple work? That divorce happened like three years ago. And I said, well, right now, I feel like this is best. And I spoke as a child of divorce. And if I hadn't had that experience of my parents' divorce, I wouldn't have understood the importance of modeling quality marriages. I think that just to say you can't, if you've been divorced, you can't ever teach a Sunday school class, serve on the church board, any of that kind of stuff. Let me tell you, we used to say that in our evangelical churches. And now we understand the principle better. I'm not sure we understand the concept and the convenience of divorce any better than we used to, but we understand the healing and the grace of God. So I want you to know today that if you have been through a divorce, the really good thing is that God can still use you. It may not be as a marriage counselor. It could be. I, I, I've always kind of been leery of uh, family and and marriage and family counselors who have had been married several times. That I just, I, for me, I, I, I wouldn't choose that person as a, as a guide. Uh, I, I want to see somebody who's done it right. And um, that's my personal opinion, and you can not write that down, just take it or leave it, okay? Let's go back to what Jesus says, though. This is verse 15, Matthew 15, 15. He says, then Peter said to Jesus, finally we get to Peter. He makes his direct self known here. Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Do you know why Peter's in this? Because he asked a question. He asked for an explanation. Never be afraid to ask a question. All the disciples are thinking that, but Peter voices it. He asks for explanations. And that's why Jesus does further teaching and helps explain it to us. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for being there for us. Explain to us what this parable says, that you aren't defiled by what you eat. And Jesus says, don't you understand yet? I mean, you guys have been going around with me for a, quite a while. Don't you get it? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the, do you see it? The sewer. 
He's saying that's where it belongs, you know? Our bodies process and give off waste. That's where it should go. But the words you speak come from your heart, not from your stomach. That's what defiles you. That's what pollutes you. That was, that's what makes you impure. It's what comes out of your heart. Have you ever been around a person who, who <laughs> of course you have, you've been around me. Um, you've been around people who, who can be so kind and, and with their words, but you know that they're just this kind of something coming out of them that's really not indicating that they're speaking the truth when they say those kind words, that there's really something else in their heart. Jesus says, for from the heart, not from the mind, from the heart come evil thoughts. Uh, this is also translated evil intentions. And he gives a list of them right out of the Ten Commandments. Murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. Jesus in this passage in Matthew covers half of the top ten commandments. He covers half, covers five of them, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Look it up. That's not your, that, that's bonus, that's extra credit, but that's not your homework because that's coming, okay? So this idea, these are what defile you, he says. What comes out of your heart? It's your attitude. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. So evil intentions, where do they begin? In the heart. Jesus made it clear why people sin. It's a matter of the heart. Our hearts have been inclined towards sin from the very time that we were born. When someone becomes a Christian, God makes them different from the inside, from the inside out. He changes their heart. He continues this process of change inside of them if they will ask and keep seeking. Keep reading the truth, keep praying, keep associating, going to Bible study, going to church. That's why these things are so important. We need to constantly eat spiritual nourishment. Now, I know some, some people haven't been to church since uh, uh, March, end of March, right? So can you imagine not physically eating any food since the end of March? We wouldn't do that. But we're starving spiritually. We're starving. We have starved ourselves. If you're not praying and reading the word daily is, is best. If you're not talking with another person about what you're learning and growing and, and trying to help them understand and you understand, then, then you're starving yourself. Don't. God wants us to seek Healthy, healthy thoughts, healthy motives, not just healthy food and exercise. Do you like to exercise? Say no. Some people do. They get into a pattern. They really like to do it. We're, what we're talking about here is spiritual exercise. It's called discipline. Same root word as discipleship. That's what we're talking about here. These actions, these attitudes begin in a person's heart. And... If they come out badly, that's what pollutes the person. Have you ever talked to somebody who had kind of a potty mouth? You know? I'm amazed that you can be around people who don't even think about it anymore. 
their words bypass their brain. And they just spew these things. Um, Colette is very sensitive. And, and sometimes we'll watch a movie and there'll be some words in there that she just goes, bing, bing. And then after about three, she goes, oh, I've had enough, you know. And you know what? Um, I have a background of knowing all these words and, and using them frequently to the point where I am not as a sensitive to her or as I should be to these words. And I built up an immunity. Not a good thing. Um, I, I don't know. A very simple example is what kind of words do you use? Do you use foul language sometimes? Is that coming out of your brain? Or is it bypassing your brain and coming right out of your heart? Uh, is it just conversational? Uh, or do you mean it? I've heard people explain to me that you know, sometimes you just need a swear word to make a point. If you need a swear word to make a point, you are ignorant of all the other words that you could use to make that point. Actions, attitudes, they come out of our heart. Murder, killing a person, taking somebody's life. Adultery, uh, having sex with someone who's not your spouse. Or even just thinking about it, Jesus says in another place. Fornication, that's unmarried people engaging in any kind of sexual activity. Uh, theft, taking something that belongs to somebody else. False witness, uh, tricking or misleading by lying or half-truths. These are things that are in the Ten Commandments. We need to give credence to these. This is what God's law says. And the last one, slander. Destroying another person's good reputation. And how do we do that? With gossip or lies. Uh, notice these parallels to the Ten Commandments. Jesus reinforces the rule of God, not the rule of man. Okay, I, I got a, a photo that I want to show you in conclusion here. here. Here it is. This is the spiritually blind. You see, they don't see their sin. Sadly, they don't see their need for a Savior. This is a, a picture that was done by one of the early Dutch Renaissance artists. His, his name is, uh, well, it would be Peter in English, Petra, Petra uh, Burgle. And he painted this. It's called The Parable of the Blind. And in this, there are... Um, some blind men. There's six of them. It's really hard to see the first one because he's dressed in dark clothing and he has fallen over already. And the rest of the, of the blind men have, are reaching onto a staff that the one in front of them is holding. And they're going to fall in the ditch too. He's got great motion. And this is considered one of the Dutch masters because of this new technique. But I want to point out a couple of things in this. This is a very literal portrait of art. The leader of the possession of these six blind men, he's falling into the ditch and he's dragging his fellows behind him. Now, there seems to be a little hope because between the first two and the next four, there's a little gap. Do you see that? Notice what's in the back of the photo right in the gap, the church. And is Burgel, is he trying to make a point here? I think he is. 
the church in the background emphasizes his message. Do not blindly follow leaders that lead you away from the church, away from God, or you're going to end up in trouble. Do you not see that as a perfect illustration of our life today? If we don't follow God, we're going to end up in trouble? I want you to know something about the Netherlands during this time. You see, the Netherlands was next to Germany and next to France. The, the, these are the Netherlands, and it's Belgium and what, what is Holland today, and, and part, a little part of Denmark, a little part of France. That's where the Netherlands is. Have you been to the Netherlands? What a corrupt society. It's amazing. We, we were in Amsterdam a few years ago, and we went down the wrong alley, just, just saying. Um, it was amazing uh, what you would see sitting right there in a, in a, uh, a shop window. Um, but this is the place where Bruegel painted this painting. And the Protestant Re Reformation has happened, but the Netherlands, this region, is under Spanish rule, which is very Catholic. It's under the Habsburgs, if you remember them. And there is a tremendous time of religious tension. When we were there, our, our friends took us to a couple of different churches, and they would say, now, this was a Catholic church until about uh, 1867, the year before Bruegel painted this painting. And he said it was Catholic church, but then it became Protestant, but then the Catholics came back into charge, and so they took over again. And you know what happened in these churches? The artwork would get smashed or taken out, and then it would get changed back. And so they, they, they went back and forth between Christian groups, Protestants and Catholics, fighting over the church. And then he paints this painting. Now realizing that there is Catholic rule, uh, some surmise that he's painting this painting against the Catholic Church in favor of the Protestants. Or some saying, no, you need to return to the church. So we don't know. He had to be very careful because the church was blasting away at each other. How would anybody know how to behave when the church acts that way? That is not of God. And so... Peter Burgle painted this painting. He's called per Peter Burgle the Elder because his son also repainted this painting. And when his son repainted it, he left out some key ingredients there. There was a, a man, a shepherd, uh, that was added, and, and, uh, and the, I, the, some of them don't have the church there. And so this is a very religious, political, demonstration of what was happening in the church at that time. What was happening in the world. I wonder what artwork is going to come out of 2020. How many people who were nominally at church are going to be leaving the church and not returning? Uh, this is a very difficult time for us all. But I think God is still God. 
And he says, in the form of Jesus, God on earth, find out what the important things are and do those things. Don't worry about man-made rules. Follow the principles of God. Okay, last thing, homework. On your notes, do you see at the bottom, there's a passage of Scripture. In that passage of Scripture, it says this. This is Acts chapter 10. And then, this is an event that happens in Peter's life. You'll remember he goes up on the rooftop, uh, he's hungry, he falls asleep, he has a a vision. Do you remember this? Uh, At the same time, this is happening, Cornelius, major character in this, a Gentile, uh, wants to learn about God, so he sends some people to get Peter to come and, and tell him about Jesus. So while this is all happening, Peter experiences it in Acts 10, and then he has to retell it to the Jerusalem leaders in Acts 11. So I want you to read this, because what took place in the passage that we looked at today with just this little bit of an explanation that Peter wanted to know, what, what's this all about things that are defiled or pollute us or what we eat or all that? That's explained in Acts 10 and 11. And Peter doesn't get it. Even then, he still struggles trying to obey the Jewish rules. And God is trying to get through to him just as he is trying to get through to us. Don't follow man-made rules. Listen, understand, seek the principles of God. Be sure to put them into practice. And Peter eventually learns it. He gets called out by Paul on this. And it really causes a division between Peter and Paul. Later, they get back together and they become important to one another. But for a while, they have a break in their relationship over Jewish rules, over the rules of the church that are really not the principles of God. So, let's be like Peter. Let's realize that sometimes we too are shifting sand. And because of this series, because of this message today, God wants you to be more solid in your faith. What are you going to do to make it so? I'd like for you to, to read this, Acts 10 and 11, the first part of 11, and then try to figure out what it's saying. And try to figure out, just even stop and pray, God, what are you trying to say to me today? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the privilege that we have of having your word, having Jesus, having the Holy Spirit, and having the church. Use it all to make us what you want us to be. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.